The following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. And tonight we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we bring nothing but sports to the table. Uh, I want to give a... uh, a quick apology to those of you who may have tuned in to the Survivor uh, Top 10 here, our Top 10 Villains rankings this past Thursday. We were cut off at the beginning of the overtime, uh, at the overtime hour because, well, quite frankly, for some reason, my phone decided that, uh, it, it, that it was, uh, that for some reason I must have been in a dead zone or something because, all of a sudden, we got disconnected out of nowhere, and because I was hosting the call, we did not get the chance to record that third hour of the overtime. So, uh, quick apologies for that. Uh, hopefully, we do not have that same problem tonight. Uh, yeah, Lou, you know, it, it, Blog Talk was having a problem all, Again? all night, Thursday night. Yeah. Apparently, there were... Uh, a, a lot of our callers tried to call in. They had to call like four different times in order to even get connected. <sighs> wow! It was really now you know really I don't host. Now you know I don't host the show on Blog Talk anymore. <laughs> yeah, it 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 just, it just was really weird because I, I guess it must have been site wide or something that it was that it was happening because we. For some for some reason, I didn't have any problems until the final, the third and final hour, where I ended up getting disconnected. I didn't even get to hear the blog talk woman uh, that basically says, "Thank you for calling into Blog oh, Talk yeah. Radio." And instead, all I got was the boop boop boop, which is basically the sound that you get when when a call fails on your end. On, oh, your, yeah. on your end or the other well, person's end. If you make you feel any better, uh, we had a little bit of a power glitch today. So, uh, oh, really? you know, I know how you feel. Yeah. But it turns out that we uh, had a little problem with, with, with our upstairs uh, plug. So we took you know, we, shared, we took care of that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I see. Which I didn't even get to that see because um, I know that um, – because what happened was – you know how the uh, Euro Cup is starting. Well, I didn't even see the incident where yeah. the where the player got injured. Yeah, I, you know well, what? Let's, uh, let's uh, let's get let's get started with that actually, because I was going to bring that yeah. uh, that incident up. Um, it was a matchup between Finland and Denmark in yes. the Euro Cup uh, today, and. Christian, it was Christian Eriksson from Denmark who randomly collapsed. I believe it was at the 43-minute mark of the game. 44. Uh, of course, uh, or 43 or 44, somewhere around there. Right. Uh, and by the way, Finland did end up going on to win the game 1-0, but uh, the game yeah. was was suspended for quite a bit of time. I believe it was what an hour, an hour and a half. I think something like that. Yeah, not even. 
I would have thought they would have postponed to like tomorrow or something. I'm surprised that he got back so quickly. Well, he didn't get back. He was. Uh, no, I know Christian that. The game itself. Was, I thought they would have waited. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of surprised myself, considering the fact that uh, members of both clubs were actually yes. very shaken up by everything. And for those who who may not know, this is basically what happened. Erickson. It had just come off. Uh, they had just come off of a, off of a throw-in, and it looked like he tried to make a play on the ball, and then all of a sudden he just completely collapsed face first onto the, onto the field, or onto the pitch as they say it, and everybody thought that okay, you know, it was, you know, maybe a foul was occurred or, uh, had occurred or something, and he was going to get right back up. First thing was, this was a non-contact incident because there was nobody around him, nobody even in the vicinity of him. And obviously, he didn't get back up. He had to get uh, they had to perform CPR on him. Uh, he had to get stretchered off of uh, off of the pitch. And in what I thought was a pretty insensitive uh, showing by by ESPN, I believe it was ESPN, or maybe it was one of the overseas networks that was carrying it, but they actually ABC, showed uh, his, they, show, they showed his girlfriend or his wife, uh, I don't know the relation, but uh, they showed her rushing out, apparently, onto the, uh, over to, to where he was being checked up on, and wh- where he was performing CPR. Uh, they really couldn't. They couldn't have, you know, gone gone to the studio or something. They had to. They, I understand, you know, uh, they would they would keep the uh, keep the uh, the camera on on the field on what what's going on on the field, but at least show a little bit of privacy. You know, not showing yes uh, a close. Uh, Somebody who who has a close relationship to him, uh, his significant other, r- rushing out onto the field to be by his side. I mean, it, can can the network be any more insensitive? No, no. This was this was about as insensitive as anybody can get. Uh, to me, it was it was a very scary sight. You know, I. I yeah. watched, I watched the replay of it when, because uh, I had tuned in, I had tuned into it late. I, I was, you know, flipping through the channels. I was watching the, uh, uh, the college uh, regional games, uh, for college baseball, and right. I was flipping through the channels, and all of a sudden I see them talking about about this incident that had uh, that, and I also got the alert on 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 my ESPN app. Uh, and when I watched the replay of it on Twitter and on YouTube, I mean, that, at first you kind of think maybe he got hit and something happened. He got hit in the head with the ball or something or got knocked out, but he wasn't moving. And no. I thought the way he fell onto the, onto the uh, pitch was kind of suspicious as well. 
Yeah. Now there's been there's been a whole bunch of different rumors out there. Uh, some people say some sources say he got a heart attack. Some sources say he suffered a stroke. Uh, oh wow. There's there's a whole bunch of different rumors floating around out there. Nobody knows exactly what to make of it. Uh, but Lou, can you recall any instance? Of this ever happening before on the uh, on the uh, on a uh, on, no. on a regardless of, uh, no, of the no. sport, uh, not from this. I think maybe in the other matches that are in Europe that probably we don't get to see, but in the you know years I've been following, uh, no. I it was a very. Very scary situation. The good news is, however, is that he is uh, conscious. He is stable. Yes. And uh, obviously, he is he is being held. Um, you know, for them to do more tests on him and everything. But uh, they did release a, release a statement saying that he was stable and whatnot. Uh, the one thing that kind of yes. pissed me off was how long it actually took the medics to even get to him. He was on the ground. He was laying there for a good minute to a minute and a half before, uh, before the medics reached him apparently. Yeah. Well, I know I had to take a little time to get there, but still, I mean, it, it, it just seemed like there was no urgency. You know what I mean? Mm, I mean, usually, been. usually teams, usually teams have medical staff on hand, right? But I mean, that that that's kind of ridiculous to have to wait that long, you know? Yeah, I mean, because this is a matter of life and death. I mean, you have to react quickly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, you have to you have you have to pretty much pretty much act quickly and. In the, in this case, you know who knows how long that if it, if it were any longer, you know just exactly uh, what his what his status would potentially be. But think about it. This guy's twenty nine years old. Yeah. And you know you're playing such a high tempo game like soccer. I'm kind of wondering if it really was a heart attack. You know, obviously if it was a stroke, Hard to say. you know, if he, if it was a stroke, there would still be some sort of, uh, as far, as far as I'm aware, you know, there would be at least some sort of life, you know, he would be, yes. he, 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 maybe there would be some sort of seizure or something, but his body would somewhat be moving. He was not even moving at all, and they were the fact that it, correct. Uh, I, I I'm not exactly sure when it comes to a stroke, but I'm pretty sure that you don't have to perform CPR on somebody who just had a stroke. No, I mean because CPR I was mean, yeah, applied yeah. to him. Yeah, CPR was applied to him on the field, and. 
you know, uh, he they, they were still applying CPR to him, I believe, when he was taken out on the stretcher as well. Yes. But according to photos that were shown on ESPN, apparently he he did regain consciousness at some point before he was officially put into the ambulance and everything. So before he even left the, uh, the arena, you know, he, he had, he had regained consciousness. Um, and we did see a show of solidarity from uh, fans of both Denmark and Finland to where uh, one side, uh, one side, cha- uh, chanted his first name, one side chanted his last name throughout the rest yeah. of the game. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with you on this, Lou. I, I'm honestly surprised that they continued on with the game today. Yeah. Uh, with it with it being suspended, I, I wonder if maybe they left it up to the players whether or not they would want to, they would want to continue. Hmm. Because you, I don't know. Soccer, I don't think the players will want to continue. I don't know. But the, the the thing is, usually with soccer, you know, scheduling, rescheduling it wouldn't really be much of a problem because because of the fact that games are so spaced out in between. Yes, but I it, it's. I'm 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 kind of surprised that they even continued on to begin with because of how mentally affected that some of these players would have yeah. possibly been. I mean, uh, one of his close friends plays for Belgium, and he was even uh, they, they uh, you know they had interviewed him uh, about the incident and everything, and. You know, he was the, the player was was visibly shaken up, even while during even while doing the interview. Oh well, yeah, you know. So, I this uh, this isn't just affecting you know the players uh, on both teams, but it's also affecting some players that may know him uh, on other teams. So, you know, it's it it really was a shocker to begin with that they continue playing on, but I guess they had to get the game in. Maybe, maybe it was something schedule related yeah. that, uh, that wouldn't allow them to reschedule it, you know, and come back and play at a later date. But, Denmark yeah. did win, uh, or no, Finland uh, did win one nil. And honestly, that one goal, I I think it, I think the uh, the goaltender may have may have still been shaken up because that looked like a saveable Absolutely. shot. It it definitely it looked like a saveable shot to the point of where when he deflected it, it actually went down to the ground and trickled uh, right past the line. You know, like practically right in front of him. That was definitely a savable shot 
I honestly, I still yeah. think that he that he probably had his uh, had his teammate in his in his head while he was still, you know, while while he was attempting to even make that save. So they really ought to revisit this when when they when they're uh, when they're talking about potentially, you know, coming up with contingency plans if medical emergencies were to happen on uh in another game like this again. Because you know, we saw it when well, granted, this was completely different, but we saw it for the uh, the malice in the palace in the NBA. Well, granted, there was only uh, there was less than a minute left in the game, uh, but yeah. we saw it during for for the malice in the palace uh, between mm-hmm. the Pacers and the Pistons when when the uh, the Pacers uh, when the Pacer uh, I, who was it? It was Ron Artest. He ended up storming yes. into the uh, storming into the stands, fighting uh, fighting like five different fans. Right. I mean, granted, that's a different situation, but they they canceled the rest of the they, they basically closed off the rest of the game and made it final, even though it was a minute left. They made the score final. Well, with only now, a with left, I mean, off, you know. yeah. I mean, it's it's much different than than here, where there was a whole a whole half left, basically, or right. a little over a half left, I should say. Um, you know, obviously, and, th- and this actually this made uh, headlines on not just ESPN and all the other all the other sports. Uh, all the other sports outlets, but it also it also made headlines on TMZ and everything else. And uh, they did release a statement. Uh, the UEFA released a statement saying, uh, following the the medical emergency involving Denmark's player Christian Eriksson, a crisis meeting has taken place with both teams and match officials. And further information will be communicated at 19:45 CET, which I assume is Central Eastern Time or something like that. Right. Which 19:45? That would have been about. Let's see. That would have been about 7 p.m. over overseas, I believe. Yes. If mm-hmm. I have my medical uh, or, or if I have my military time correct, uh, right. And they did say the player had been transferred to the hospital and was stabilized. And according to reports, uh, Erickson was seen raising his hand and appeared conscious as he was being taken off the field. So it had to have been a heart attack because. It must have been. I I don't see him being conscious from a stroke. I, first off, I don't see them. Uh, granted, I'm not, I'm not a uh, you know I'm not in the medical field, but right. I don't see them performing CPR on somebody who suffered a stroke when 
really the stroke has to do more with, I think it has to do more with the brain, doesn't it? Yes, it does. That's what I thought. Because usually a stroke basically means that you're having trouble sending, the brain is having trouble sending signals to different parts of the body. Yes. It had to have been a heart attack because he he wasn't moving and there would be no other reason to perform CPR if he was it, – it, it's obvious that apparently he wasn't breathing either. So – but at least at least the good thing here is that he is, he is officially uh, – he is officially stable. They're going to keep him in the hospital for, you know, who knows how long until uh, – until they can officially put out there what actually happened to him. But uh Lou, I talked to, I talked about this after you ended up uh leaving the show last week. I want to get your thoughts right. on uh coach Krzyzewski of Duke deciding to retire after his 42nd season uh this up Well, year. I I think with you know the you know, his health has been declining in recent years and whatnot, and I think based on that maybe that was time to hang it up. So it really doesn't surprise me. I thought maybe it was going to happen you know some time ago, and you know yeah, this will be the this will be the final year. Years old. Yeah, uh, he's seventy four years old. You want to talk about a hall of fame, uh, a hall of fame uh, career? Oh, absolutely. 42 years at Duke, five national titles, 12 Final Four appearances, and actually he is a part of the Hall of Fame right now. He is currently in the Naismith Hall of Fame right now. Uh, during a decade ago, he became the career wins leader for Division I men's basketball. Uh, he earned his thousandth career victory in 2015. Uh, becoming the first Division One men's basketball coach to achieve a four-figure win total. Uh, he will enter next year having amassed 1,170 wins in his career, 1,097 yes. of them coming at Duke. Yes, because he did spend five now, years at Army before coming to Duke. That's right. And now uh, his successor will reportedly be assistant coach and former Duke player John Shire, according to uh, according to Pat Ford of Sports Illustrated. And Krzyzewski will retire having recorded one of the most impressive resumes in all of coaching, regardless of what sport that you're coaching yes. in. In addition to his success at Duke and also uh, his career at Army, he also led the U.S. men's basketball team to three consecutive gold medals in 2008, 2012, and 2016. Yes, he did. And, hell, even uh, former Duke star Grant Hill actually said that he really feels that whatever – Coach K chose to be, whether it was a politician or a minister or a business person or a philanthropist mm. or whatever, that he would be amazing. 
good leaders good leaders accomplish great things he's this amazing leader yes. who just happened who just so happens to coach basketball and actually uh as far as his years at army which was his alma mater uh oh. he led he led army to four to uh, four winning seasons in his first five years. And then obviously he left Army uh, following the 1980 season to take over for Duke, which had previously been coached by Bill Foster at the time. And this is a, a pretty interesting stat here because while they failed to make the NCAA tournament in each of his first two seasons at Duke, after those first two seasons, he missed the NCAA tournament only two more times in the coming decades after that. And of course, last year's missed appearance was the program's first since 1995, a 24-season streak, which had been the third longest in NCAA history, trailing only North Carolina with 27 and Kansas with 30 consecutive uh, appearances. Let's go. Was that done by uh, Dean Smith? Uh, that I am not sure of. It, it, it probably it, was. It didn't say, but I know that I'm pretty sure North Carolina's was Roy Williams. Oh. I think, with with 27 straight appearances. And it's kind of interesting, you know, that, that Coach K is announcing his retirement because this comes literally just months after Roy Williams announced his on April 1st. <sighs> Coincidence? And no, this, I don't know about that. And and now this uh, this of course led to some speculation, you know, uh, with with Brad Stevens uh, stepping down as Boston head coach. You know, a lot of people believe that Stevens isn't going to be uh, at the top of the uh, that he isn't going to be president of basketball operations for too long. And eventually he'll return to coaching. A lot of people thought that when this Duke news broke out, that maybe perhaps he could be interested in the uh, head coaching spot at Duke. That was of course, before it was announced that John Shire would, would, uh, would uh, succeed as, uh, as head coach, uh, as, Coach K's replacement. Yeah, well, that's it. When you think about it, though, the the NCAA coaching, uh, you know, uh, coaching lineup is going to look a lot different next year. Yes. It's just to me, Lou, it's just weird that you yeah. know we're not going to be we're not going to be seeing Coach K, and not just that, you know, obviously with him retiring, 
from uh, from college basketball. That probably means he's also retiring from the Olympics. So I believe this year, am I, am I right? Uh, this year is the – well, obviously, they didn't have the Olympics last year because of COVID. So I would assume that this year is the uh, the next year for the Olympics, right? Yes. So we're probably going to have, unless he decides to return for one final run uh, with the Olympic squad, we're probably going to have mm-hmm. a new head coach for uh, for the Olympic team. Yeah, I think we are. But. It's it's definitely going to be a major change, that's for sure. When it comes to uh, when it comes to Coach K no longer being around, uh, and speaking of, that's going to feel weird most of all. Oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to feel weird because normally, you know, you have all these all these uh, consistencies when it comes to watching college basketball and everything like, you know, when, when you go to Kentucky or when you, when you see Kentucky play, you're expecting uh, John Calipari to be, to be uh, sitting on the sideline there as head coach, you know, uh, with North Carolina, obviously you expected to see Roy Williams every season and the same thing with coach K and Duke. But now, it's going to be completely different. I mean, this, this year, uh, this following, uh, this upcoming season will be his last season, basically. But, you know, speaking of coaching, uh, speaking of coaches and everything, uh, there are some more openings actually in, in the NBA with Terry Stotts being, uh, well, agreeing yes. to a mutual parting of ways with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh-huh. And you think about the talent, the, the, the talent that's been wasted on that Portland Trailblazers roster so far. With, obvi- obviously, you got Damian Lillard, you got C.J. McCollum as... yeah. Their top two stars there in Portland. You know, I said that uh, that the Boston job would be uh, would be highly sought after. Mm-hmm. Looking at this Portland team, I'm really thinking that Portland may potentially be the uh, the most highly sought after uh, coaching job here because there's a lot. Of, a lot of potential with this squad who went 42 and 30 this year. It, it just seemed that, you know, they never were able to get on, to get, uh, to get going with, uh, with Damian Lillard being on the squad. You know, the furthest they got was the conference finals a couple of years ago where they ended up losing, I believe it was, to the to the Golden State Warriors. And actually, if I recall, yeah, they got swept by Golden State, actually. Uh, in yes. The, 
after defeating uh, Oklahoma City and then defeating Denver in the first and second round, Portland then got swept by Golden State in the conference finals. And, I mean, just looking at Terry Stotts' record, he only missed the playoffs once during his career in Portland, and that was his first year. After that, you know, he had most of his most of his appearances were were first round exits, but uh, he did make the semifinals twice, and he did make the conference finals once. So, you got to assume that Terry Stotts is probably not going to be on the market for that long. Uh, when it comes to when it com- when it comes to uh, to looking for uh, for jobs, and actually, as a matter of fact, the Indiana Pacers, who just let go of Nate Bjorkren after one year, yeah. Uh, I mean, only one they only had one they, bad season since then, but yet they still fired him anyway. Well, you see that here's the here's the thing. Uh, according to what I've heard, Bjorkgren basically lost not just the locker room, but his staff as well. Mm. In that one year, everybody basically tuned him out as quickly as they could. Yeah. So, and, you know, Indiana's a whole entire different thing as well, too. You know, when you take when you take a look at the talent on their roster, uh, obviously Demontis Sabonis is you know the big piece there. But uh, you you take a look at that starting five: Malcolm Brogdon, who normally would be a starter if he was still on the Bucks; Karis LeVert, who they just got from uh, from the Nets; J- Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott, Demontis Sabonis. You know, there's a lot of talent on that Pacers roster. And yeah. actually, hmm, wait a minute. Where is, oh, no wonder why he's not showing up. Miles Turner was out. Oh. But uh, he, he was uh, injured, I should say. Uh, but. You know, Miles Turner, that's another potential uh, if they can re-sign him this offseason. That's another big weapon that the Pacers have in their in their young core. Uh, I guess with Bjorkgren, it was just a case of, you know, he never really, his his teaching style never really caught on in Indiana. And that's basically what doomed what doomed him after just one year. And I guess, you know, Indiana uh what probably prompted this firing is the fact that Terry Stotts hit the market. Go ahead. And Go ahead, with the thing is right after. Oh, okay. Uh, with the uh, with the thing here, the description here that says that the Pacers are expected to pursue a more experienced, established head coach to replace Bjorkgren, that basically screams that they're going after Terry Stocks, unless they're gonna unless they're gonna go after Mike D'Antoni, who's currently with Brooklyn. Oh boy. 
one of the Knicks' worst nightmares, Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, well, obviously you can – no, I know I know he was. Uh, you know, D'Antoni, yeah. he, he never really amounted to anything ever since he left uh, Phoenix. No. For the most part. And, you know, uh, his name has also come up as a potential – coach that the Celtics are, are looking at and I I want them to stay as far away from him as possible I mean I understand you know he his whole philosophy is all offense and no defense granted that's mm-hmm. worked for the Mets so far but uh, you know the Celtics are coming off of a coach who was defensive minded as opposed to offensive minded so I mean that would be a pretty drastic uh, a pretty drastic uh, change in philosophy for the Celtics organization. So I wouldn't really see them going after Dan Tony. I would think maybe they would go after Stotts, but from the sounds of it, it sounds like the Indiana Pacers are dead set on hiring Stotts as their as their uh, replacement to Bjorkgren. Yes, I think that too. And considering how their roster is shaped, it would be really hard to see him turning down that offer. Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, another coach who has, uh, who has, who has uh, had a couple questions thrown around about him has been uh, Rick Carlisle of the Dallas Mavericks, having lost yet again another uh, another first-round exit. And uh, Mavericks owner Mark Cuban actually told ESPN this week that he will not consider a coaching change after, even though after losing in seven games to the Clippers. He, he said you don't make a change to make a change unless you have someone that you know is much, much, much better the grass is rarely greener on the other side. And, you know, it kind of makes sense because, from mind, Rick Carlisle did bring a championship to to Dallas. You know, obviously, you know, maybe maybe there's some problems out there with, uh, with some of the star players like, uh, I know there's there's friction between uh, Kristaps Porzingis and yeah the, uh, you know there there's uh, friction between Kristaps uh, Porzingis and Luka Doncic but you know they still have a pretty good core out there in Dallas I mean it's you know it's 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 de- they definitely have players that they can that they can build off of so they're not really in in they're not really in the uh in the mindset to where you know maybe they need a replacement coach a lot of their problems i think have to do with the fact that they still have some young players who still have to learn Right, and obviously with another season under their belt, you know it's just going to make them better. So I would expect Dallas to rebound next year. Oh, I sure hope so. I would, 
I would be surprised if they didn't. Um, and speaking of Luka Doncic, he, he did say that he definitely plans to sign the Supermax extension with Dallas this summer. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a foregone conclusion. Uh, apparently, though, it sounds like, it, from, what, from all I've read, it sounds like Doncic basically told them, look, it's either me or Porzingis. One of us has to go. Yeah. And all indications are the Mavericks are shopping Porzingis with a grant. Now, granted, they always have their hands in everything, in every single player. Uh, but the Boston Celtics are reportedly the betting odd favorites to acquire Porzingis. Mm. And with the news that the Celtics may be shopping Kemba Walker this year, because of his uh, because of his bad contract, uh, a situation has po- a scenario has popped up that maybe perhaps the Celtics may try to swap bad contract for bad contract uh, by shipping Kemba and maybe like a second round pick or something out to Dallas for Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, what are your thought? What are your thoughts about that, Lou? Could, do you think uh, a change of scenery could actually benefit both players? Because Kemba hmm. has still been putting up. He, he has been putting up similar numbers to what he put up in Charlotte, but the problem with yes. him has been injuries. And with Porzingis, he's been kind That's of problem. injury prone as well since since joining Dallas. He's always been injury prone. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, you would you would know uh, having seen him with the Knicks. Yeah, I'm sorry, I have. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's going to make a difference. You don't think it's going to make much of a difference, even if. No. Uh, I mean, if, if they if they somehow if they somehow acquire Kemba Walker, one of two things would have to happen. Either Luka Doncic or Kemba moves to shooting guard and in order to keep both of them in the starting lineup, and Tim Hardaway Jr. goes to the bench, or you could potentially be seeing Kemba Walker, because of his injury issues, back up Luka Doncic. But to be honest, it's still kind of hard to see a guy who is still technically all-star caliber worthy backing up Doncic on the bench. It's still kind of hard for it's kind of hard for me at least to envision that. Yeah. Um and actually, in particular here, uh, sticking with Dallas, they've been to the playoffs nine times since Carlisle took over as head coach. And seven of those nine times they lost in the first round, including six first-round exits since they won the title in 2011. Oh, dear. Uh now that 
since we're talking about trading star players, there was there were rumors out there that maybe perhaps Damian Lillard had had gotten frustrated with the way they're handling things in Portland, as we talked about last week. Uh, And Stephen A. Smith had said that six or seven teams had called uh, Portland to gauge about to gauge uh, Lillard's availability after they had uh, exited in in the first round again. And according to, uh, according to uh, Jabari Young of CNBC, uh, Lillard told CNBC that he's expected to wait to see what the Blazers do this offseason before, de- before he decides his future. And I think a big part of that could be depending on who they hire as their new head coach. Now, he wanted Jason Kidd, but apparently Jason Kidd pulled himself out of the running because he, didn't want, he, he apparently didn't want uh, his hiring to, uh, you know, to be because of the fact that it made headlines, you know, at the request of, of Lillard. Which, I mean, it kind of makes sense. You know, it, he would be under yeah. a really strict microscope. Mm-hmm. And an- another thing, too, is, uh, you know, the hiring process in the NBA is sort of like the hiring process in the NFL where you they have uh, – what's that NFL rule? Right. What's um, that NFL rule, Lou, that they have to – that they have to uh, – they have to interview – uh, minority coaches and stuff like that yes. before they can actually before they can actually hire uh, a head coach. Right. I forget what the rule is called, but I believe it's, yeah, it's they have similar. To, they have to interview minority coaches first. Yeah, and I th- I think it's I think it's sort of similar uh, with the NBA as well, and. The way that kid wrote his comments, it kind of, or the the way that kid expressed his comments, it kind of sounds like, you know, he be, he thinks that it would look like Portland was immediately zoned in on him the entire time without interviewing anybody else, and he didn't want to be, he didn't want to, he didn't want to have to deal with all that crap, basically. No. However, when it comes to the head coaching spot in Portland, it sounds like the likely choice is going to be Chauncey Billups, who is currently an assistant with the Clippers. And considering how the Clippers are faring right now, they're currently – well, actually, I believe they're leading right now in game three. They are winning this game, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, oh yeah, 64 to 49. Uh Actually, I believe Utah is without they're without somebody tonight. Probably. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember who they're uh who they don't have. Uh, it'll, pro- it'll probably come to me. Conley, he's out with a hamstring injury. Oh, yes, that's right. 
That's right. I, I forgot. I posted about that in Sports Whispers. Why didn't I remember that? Uh, <laughs> you know, that could, that could be playing a big part in Utah's struggles right now in L.A. Uh, obviously, the Clippers need this in order to avoid going down 3 nothing, which we already have one series at 3 nothing with the uh, Phoenix uh, over Denver, surprisingly. Uh with Phoenix being that dominant to the point of where out of all their three games so far, neither one of them has been close. No. Um, So, yeah, you know, obviously if the Clippers, though, if they continue the trajectory they're on, obviously Chauncey Phillips will have plenty of, uh, plenty of time to interview with teams. Um, Exactly. Good news for the Knicks, and you know how we, how we talked about this uh, beforehand. We were wondering who yes. would be named Coach of the Year. Tom Thibodeau was it. officially named Coach of the Year mm-hmm. with a forty-one and thirty-one record. He took a team that finished twenty-one and forty-five last year. Their first playoff berth in eight years with a with a uh, a number four seed this year, and without the Knicks overhauling their roster, he also helped Julius Randle, of course, take home the Most Improved Player award. And this is the second time that Thibodeau has taken home the Coach of the Year trophy. Uh, it says here Monty Williams of the Suns finished second and actually had more first-place votes than Thibodeau, while Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz finished third. So obviously, Lou, uh, you gotta be ha- you got to be happy about this. Uh, definitely I am, uh, well, but I expected well it. Deserved... What, are, what, are your, what are your thoughts on uh, – on the job that Thibodeau did this year as coach of the, uh, the, way of he, the New York Knicks, you know, the way he the way he turned the Knicks uh, around and with our you know our good additions of um, you know who we, who we got this year, and you know nobody gave really the Knicks a chance uh, this year considering how they've been through um, in recent years, but he turned that team's fortunes around. So I wouldn't surprise at all. In fact, I think he deserved to get it. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, he's I mean, like, like Julius, Julius Randle and Obi Toppin were a big part of it. Yeah. And not to mention Emmanuel, Emmanuel quickly as well. And all the other, uh, all the other young studs that they have on that roster currently. Um, plus contributor was Derek Rose off of the bench too, putting up uh you know, putting up around 30 point, close to 30 points per game off the bench. But it it, it just really seems like uh, the Knicks right now are, have a whole bunch of players who were basically filled with potential, and maybe maybe they're they're players that had potential but never lived up to it with their respective teams, with the exception, of course, of Derrick Rose. Uh, his big yeah. problem, of course, was injury, uh, was 
you know, being injury prone with, uh, with Chicago at the end of his uh, Chicago tenure. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of these players were players that just weren't able to put it all together. And the one thing that Thibodeau is great at is basically not just developing talent, which we saw him do that with the Celtics, but also uh, the fact that he's more defensive-minded compared to compared to uh, some other coaches around the league. And I think you definitely Second. saw that with the Knicks. The Knicks, I believe, Lou, if I'm if I'm right, the Knicks had one of the uh, one of the highest rated defensive uh, defensive ratings this year. Yes, they did. Okay, I just got a note from little brother and uh, ten thirty. I got a split. All right. Well, you know, while we're, while we're at it, um, let's get let's get your thoughts on the different NBA. Uh, obviously, the the uh, current playoff brackets right now. Uh, Philadelphia, they lead Atlanta two games to one, but a huge issue here, they've lost Danny mm-hmm. Green for two to three weeks. Two weeks. Uh, with, yeah, two weeks at the minimum, two to three weeks with a calf injury. Yep. And this is going to be huge because if they have to face the Nets in the next round, Danny Green is really crucial when it comes to spacing out the floor. And they're going to have a big problem with trying to handle some of the uh, some of, some of the uh, big guns that the Mets have. Of course, that that of course depends on what what happens with James Harden, uh, who is going to be out right. for Game Four. Um, you know, it's yeah. that all depends on what on what happens with him if he's going to miss any additional time or whatnot. And not just that, but also uh, you have Joel Embiid with that partial meniscus tear. Yes. And you saw how I'm pretty sure you probably saw last night how he was hobbling on that one leg a whole uh, a whole bunch throughout the night. And yes, of course. And how, the thing to worry about the thing to think about is you know if Trey Young stays on his, his game, you know he's gonna you know give the uh, Sixers a hard time. Oh yeah, def- and and especially, you know, that's another thing that uh that they could they could really feel the loss of Danny Green potentially. Is the fact that Trey Young will be will be able to abuse uh you know, the, uh yeah. not not just uh not just Ben Simmons but also uh whoever they have replacing Danny Green in the starting lineup. Right. So you think green? You think the loss of green is more of a bigger asset than, say, um, with uh, Embiid's injury? No, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly saying that. I, I'm, I'm just okay. looking forward right now. I'm looking forward when it comes to Brooklyn. Obviously, yes. Embiid he he's gonna still be able to bully his way through uh, through yeah. Blake Griffin, who right. for some okay. reason is having a resurgence out there in Brooklyn. 
I still think when you match yes. up Embiid and and uh, and Blake Griffin, even though Embiid's injured, I I still give the edge to Embiid. But you do have to watch that injury because it is entirely possible could upgrade to a full tear potentially. The more uh, that he's right, right. However, uh, with the loss of Danny Green, depending on the depending on uh if if they do go go a full seven games in this uh in this series maybe perhaps uh the damage can be minimized uh for how long he would be out in a potential series or with Brooklyn now obviously it would be it would be a different story if somehow the the bucks are able to upset Brooklyn uh considering how game three I wouldn't went. call it upset though you wouldn't no. I mean, I would kind of call it an upset with considering the the type of coach that Mike Budenholzer is. I mean, he you want to talk about a coach that's known for choking. That's Budenholzer. Yeah, but with the Greek freak, though, eh. True, you got the Greek freak and you got Drew Holiday as well. Um, yeah. But when it comes to Philly, uh, I expect Philly to close out this series. I don't know if it'll be in seven games, but I expect them to close it out, considering how the first two games went. Uh, Milwaukee and Brooklyn, I'm expecting that Harden returns at some point during this series. And also Jeff Green, it sounds like he he may be returning for game four. So he's a huge part of that Brooklyn rotation. Uh, that could prove to that could prove to to cause some problems potentially for the for the Bucks. So that yeah. that's just another weapon that Brooklyn is getting back there. So I would expect Brooklyn to win it, even if it's in seven games. Uh, Denver and Phoenix. You know, Denver has put up big numbers throughout these three games so far, but Phoenix has just been dominant. Exactly. So, That's my point. I don't really see Denver doing much here. I mean, despite all their efforts, you know, and I really thought Devin Booker was really going to try to come through for Denver, but it hasn't been enough. And I don't see this, uh, I don't see anything changing. I think the Suns are going to be a sweep. Oh, joke, you know, Jokic will double, and it hasn't been enough. For yeah. Denver, so I think and we're he was probably in, he was looking MVP. at a, hmm. yeah. I think we're probably looking at a Phoenix Utah series potentially, unless unless the well, Clippers like can come back, unless the Clippers can come back and make this a uh, an interesting series with Utah. I just knowing uh. how knowing how the Clippers knowing how the Clippers have fared in in recent years. I mean, yeah, they may come back and make it two to two, but I have a feeling that Utah closes it out. Yeah. Uh, but Conley, depending on how long Conley's out, that could prove to be huge for Utah because yeah. he's really good. He's really good at spacing out the floor with his ball movement. So. That's gonna that could that could be quite a sizable loss for for Utah depending on how long he's out. 
Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, I also want I also want to uh, want to get your thoughts on the respective NHL series that we're seeing in the NHL. Uh, we have, of course, it's really hard for me to to still talk about this, but um, I know, I know, the Islanders advancing over the Boston Bruins in six yeah. games. Uh, I think probably, you know, this is uh, I give all all the credit in the world to the Islanders, uh, but I, I hate I hate to give this as an excuse, but. Uh, Tuka Rask, he played Awful. through all of the playoffs with a torn labrum. Ugh. And to I've see the numbers the he put up, man. Yeah. I mean, it became he, – he didn't really become affected by it until I think it was game but five. Right? That he really became affected by it, where you could you could see a drastic difference in uh, in his movement. You know, no, otherwise, but how do you play for that? The, That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. It's especially when you're a goaltender and you're having to use your hips an awful lot. Yes. You know how the, how the hell can you play through a torn labrum? Yeah. I'm not going to play through a torn anything. I mean, I'm no um, medical expert, he but did, still. Uh, he is expected to undergo surgery uh, within the next uh, – it, it, actually, there's not really a timeline for his surgery. Uh, but he is right, expected right. to undergo surgery. And from what it sounds like, it sounds like uh, he is going to sign an extension with Boston because – uh, he has already. He said during the during the exit interviews that he re, he refuses to play for any other team unless he decides to go home to Finland. I see. And he also said that he will that he wants to help out Jeremy Swayman in any way possible uh, next year while he's recovering from uh, from his surgery. So. It looks like the Bruins, they may be going young with their uh, goaltending tandem next year, potentially with Jeremy Swayman and Dan Vladar, who we saw uh, earlier this year when Yaroslav Halak was out with COVID and Rask was dealing with, uh, with some nagging injuries. Uh, during that series as well, Curtis Lazar also suffered a sprained MCL and he bruised his ACL. Uh, I believe it was in game five uh, that he had both of those injuries. And Jeremy Lozon, uh, one of their defensemen, had surgery on his right hand during the, uh, during the first round matchup with the Washington Capitals with his hand in game one. And then he ended up missing uh, the final four games of that series before he came back uh, to play in all six games against the Islanders. I mean, it was. I I, I just got, I got to say when it comes when it comes to when it comes to this series, I I even said on yes. this podcast I would rather the Bruins face off against the Penguins than I would uh, have them face off against the Islanders. 
Because uh, I think you did say that. Because the Penguins, it's sort of like the Penguins are sort of like the Bruins, where they have two top two lines, and the third and fourth lines are suspect. And it's the same thing with the Bruins. The Bruins have their first two lines are great. The third and fourth lines, though, there are some nights that they show up. There are some nights that they don't. And uh, if you're counting the playoffs, in the playoffs, they never showed up, at least in the second round. Uh, however, though, yeah. I, am, I, think, I think this is where the Islanders' road stops because they're facing the Lightning yeah. now in a rematch of last year. And well, revenge. So uh, maybe the owners are going to be looking for it, and they may get it. I that Tampa Bay gave up four goals in their last game against the uh, against the Hurricanes, and they still outscored Carolina, putting up six. Uh-huh. And I I still see. I think this will be a long series, but I I still see the Lightning coming out on top with the uh, with the win in in this one. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think the uh, Do you think the Islanders could potentially uh, pull off uh, the uh, the revenge that they're looking for from last year? Well, I did say revenge, and you know, revenge is you know best served is best served just cold. And I think the owners are looking for it. I mean, I think they're hungry. You know, they haven't won in thirty seven years, which is a lifetime for some of us. So. uh yeah, I well, I can go either. It can go either way, really. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Islanders do try to play spoiler here. Keep in mind that they don't know. We don't know how the series is going to really turn out because they haven't played each other this season. You know, due to the virus That's and whatnot. True. So it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit. You know, it's gonna be a little complicated as well. That's definitely true. I forgot about that. Yes. The fact that uh, the yeah, fact so that most else. teams. Most te- the fact that most teams' uh, schedules have been mainly in their own division. Yes, I want to know though who is the dumbass that came up with this ridiculous scheduling? Because a you got the Islanders versus Tampa on NBC three o'clock, and then you have the Nets versus the Bucks at three o'clock on ABC at the same time. Who is the dimwitted nitwit that came up with this idea? Ugh. Dumbass. I have no idea. It's. There obviously was a lack of communication between both uh, between both uh, sports, lack between, of uh, both sports, between both sports, and also the uh, and also the network, the networks. Uh, what Byron. do you think of? Go ahead. Fire him! Fire the fire the heads of the networks! Fire him! Yeah, something something has yeah, to happen. Please. But what do you think of uh, of the Vegas Golden Knights dispatching the uh, Colorado Avalanche? This team which, is by not the a way, joke. The this Nazem, team is for real. I mean, the they haven't been in the league that continues. long. They haven't been in the league that long, and they've already made two trips, you know, to the conference finals, and they may make the uh, the Stanley Cup final. I mean, to have the success in just a short amount of time is just nothing but phenomenal. 
Then again, of course, like I said, in their first year, this was not a bunch of rookie players that was put just put together. These were vet, seasoned veteran players, and they still have them. So, you know, it doesn't really surprise me that they have been able to do so well because you need veteran players uh, to help you, you win. You just can't do it with a bunch of rookie players, you know, just came out of college with no experience in the NHL. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And, you know, I said th- the thing, the thing with Vegas, it, it's more impressive is the fact that ever since they entered the league, Vegas has been in the mix. Yeah. Put it this way, you got a better chance of being on uh, the Golden Knights winning than you do in a slot machine in Vegas. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what's it called? Um, what do you th- What do you think about the uh, about the Montreal Canadiens with their uh, unlikely to the conference finals? Well, the way the fact that it's Canada's last stand. Mm, hmm. It's possible, but I think they were like the weakest team in all the, the playoffs. So I really don't know if they're going to be able to get past this. You don't think that they'll be able to? Uh, that you don't think they'll they'll be able to uh, to top to top them? No, I don't. I could be wrong, of course, but uh, you know that's not the way I that's the way I see it. It's been a long time though since the Canadian team had won, uh, you know, gotten to a uh, to win the Stanley Cup. The last time I think uh, Canadian team got in was um, the Canucks against Boston. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely been a while. That's for sure. Um, Ten years. You know, I think though when it when it comes Making to the Canucks, crap. or not the Canucks. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to the Habs, you know the big thing is that yeah. everybody has basically been against. You know, nobody is betting on the Habs to really be much of a threat. So I Gee, think I that's why. probably some, that's probably something that they have going for them. Yeah. The fact that you know potentially and, they could be underestimated. Yeah, and not for nothing. But when you know Vancouver played that seventh game against Boston, which was in Vancouver, let's put it this way: they played like hell. Yeah. Um, you would think home court of the home ice advantage. You think, and with a car with you, you think it would be an easy one for Vancouver. It was just the opposite. It was yeah, a trash dumping to say the least. Yeah. Now, obviously, of course, one of the uh, one of the things to look at in particular with uh, with the Habs has been the fact that uh, Carey Price, you know, has been, has played a huge part when it comes to uh, you know when when it comes to the the Canadiens. Uh, success here. Yes. 
Exactly. Now, hang on a second. Now, I've got to check in with them. So, hang on. Okay. If I just hear be alert, I may have to go a little bit early. And okay. This uh, second oh, thing, always oh, a slow response. All right, oh, yeah, before, I got, before, we're gonna do it now. But if I have time before I get back, before eleven o'clock, I'll be there. All right. All right. Well, I'll, okay. I'll keep an eye out for you then. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. All right, you know, while I have while I have time here, uh I think we I think I'm going to talk a little bit about NXT Takeover in your house, which is set to take place tomorrow night on uh on the Peacock Network uh from the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. Uh five matches on the card. Uh I assume considering how the how uh the last in your house event took place for NXT. I assume they're going to sort of follow the same, the same format this year. Uh, maybe we might see, uh, we might see the return potentially of a couple of, uh, you know, a couple, a couple of former, uh, of former figures uh, in particular, I believe the last in your house that they had, they had Todd Pettengill, I think uh, the former, one of the former, uh, or wait, was it Pettengill? Who did they? They had some, they had somebody uh, as a backstage interview. I want to say it was Pettengill uh, that that came back, who used to do the in your house shows for the WWF back in the uh, back in the Attitude Era, or actually probably maybe before the Attitude Era. Uh, but we have five matches on the card tomorrow night. We have a fatal five-way match for the NXT Championship with Karrion Cross uh, with his wife Scarlett defending against Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano with Austin Theory, and Pete Dunne with Oni Lorcan. Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole are probably going to cancel each other out, so I think you can probably rule those two out. It's going to go. It's going to go down to Karrion Cross and Gargano and Pete Dunne. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure that, or you know, I, I wouldn't think that they would take the title off of Cross as quickly as uh, as quickly as they have. So, yeah, I I don't think that I th- I think that Carrying Cross is going to end up coming out the winner here, and obviously with a fatal five way match, so many people he can potentially pin, and you know I just don't see I don't see him losing, I really don't. It would be it would be a uh, a pretty big shock unless. Unless the fact that they only put him, they only put the title on him to give him an actual, an actual title reign as NXT champion because of the fact that he never had one officially due to, mainly due to the fact that he got injured that very same night that he won it 
previously. So maybe perhaps, you know, this title reign, which has been short so far, was just to give him an actual title reign as opposed to, you know, only one, only one, uh, a one night reign like the last time, because he has been rumored for the main roster for quite some time. And honestly, considering how they've been treating some of their, uh, some of their main roster talent over, over, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks with all the releases and everything, uh, not to mention the wasted potential of Aleister Black, who, by the way, apparently the WWE is looking to potentially bring back here. Uh, I don't, I don't know why they even released him in the first place. Uh, they claim he claimed that he was released due to budget cuts, but I don't know. But he's one of the one of the wasted NXT talents that have you know that have come up from the uh, from the NXT roster, and I don't know. Maybe it would be different with Karrion Cross because of the fact that he you know he's a former. Uh, he's a former Impact Wrestling star, and obviously that's one of the things that they that they would look at is the fact that you know uh, casual fans from uh, for the WWE that watched the main shows may have seen him on Impact before, and maybe perhaps. They want to capitalize on that. I don't know. I think he has a pretty good character right now on NXT. And the thing is, is usually when an NXT star gets brought up from NXT, their gimmick is often changed immediately. We saw it happen with Aleister Black where – I mean, he did his his little entrance and everything for the first year or so that he was on the main roster, but he eventually just became another one another one of the another one of the of the guys on the roster. You know, he wasn't. They didn't really do much with him. You know, there was a lot more. There was a lot more uh, potential for him, and I think. That's kind of why, you know, they they looked at uh, they looked at him and said, "Why the hell are we even releasing this guy when he he could potentially take off if he ended up uh, if he ended up going to like AEW or Impact Wrestling?" And I think that. There's definitely a lot of, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of wasted potential. Actually, Mike Johnson of, of PW Insider said that there, there may be a push with from within WWE of having him get brought back to the company. Uh, Black actually talked about uh, on on Renee Young's uh, podcast of how people in the WWE had reacted to the news of his release. Uh, he even sa- he said, I've spoken to a lot of higher-ups and they don't understand it. Throughout the entire company, there is a why him 
attitude. It's a good feeling that the perception of you have of why am I being let go is shared by many of the by many high up in the company that are very close to the boss. Then of course you have the uh, you have the asshat Dave Meltzer who is basically uh, biased to AEW considering he's very close with the Young Bucks. Uh, and he's saying there is a strong belief that former WWE star Aleister Black will be signing with AEW once his 90-day non-compete clause expires. Um, and then he added in after, of course, this report had been put out there, he added in, although there has been talk in WWE that the company made a mistake in cutting him and may make him an offer to return, so that could change the equation. Of course, Dave Meltzer, being the type of guy who covers all, who, who covers all, uh, all sides of his ass, basically. Um, but, you know, I kind of feel that with with the type of star that they have in that, you know, that, that they have in uh, carrying cross, that it would be a bad idea to take the NXT title off of him and immediately ship him up to the main roster. I mean, I know they're struggling to actually put compelling content on uh, on live TV with the only real compelling content right now being the huge gigantic push that Roman Reigns has, which honestly this time is actually well deserved because of the fact that fans are actually invested in his character now, uh, being the uh, the tribal chief. But as far as as far as uh, as far as carrying cross goes, though, I still think it would be way too quick to put him up on the main roster right now at this point. So I expect I expect him to retain uh, his NXT title here. Cameron Grimes against LA Knight in a ladder match for the vacant million dollar championship. And the million, the million dollar championship, obviously for those who do not know is the title that was introduced by Ted DiBiase back in the late eighties into the WWF where he basically created the title for himself and he debuted the belt during a segment of the brother love show that they had on, uh, on WWF programming. And of course this started up a whole entire, uh, a whole entire feud between him and Virgil who at the time was his, uh, was his manager or protege, I guess. Technically, you could say. Um, but then, of course, the belt made a couple of other uh, a couple of other uh, showings with the ringmaster. Though everybody knows him now as Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, Ted DiBiase gave him the title uh, back in the mid '90s, which he held for about five months, and then. Um, and then and they ended up abandoning the title after Ted DiBiase left the WWF for WCW. Then they gave it to Ted DiBiase to Ted DiBiase's kid Ted DiBiase Jr. 
2010, where he held the title for about 224 days before he gave it back to his father on a random episode of Raw. And now apparently they're bringing it back as Ted DiBiase has gotten himself involved in this feud between Cameron Grimes and L.A. Knight, who a lot of people know L.A. Knight uh, for his time in Impact Wrestling as Eli Drake. And Cameron Grimes, he's basically been in NXT since 2019 and honestly hasn't really done much. But considering the fact that, well, actually, uh, Cameron Grimes is known for his time in Impact Wrestling as well, where he was a three-time X Division champion and he was a uh, world tag team champion uh, with Kurt Hawkins back during Hawkins' time in uh, in TNA. You know, uh, with Cameron Grimes, he's had this new gimmick of claiming to be uh, a GameStop investor. For for people who don't know, you know, the, this is in reference to the GameStop, the the rise of the uh, of the stocks that GameStop had uh, during during January, where 140 percent of GameStop of, of GameStop's stocks had been sold, which basically the price the price rose up. Uh, and this basically made Cameron Grimes the richest man in NXT. And he started, I guess this is basically, I guess, a passing of the torch, a redoing, if you would, of Ted DiBiase's million-dollar man gimmick. And I guess Ted DiBiase must have given him his blessing because uh, DiBiase has basically gotten himself involved in this feud and the fact that they're bringing in the the million dollar championship into this kind of makes me think that this is basically the payoff where Grimes is going to end up winning the title after DiBiase has shown him up uh, all these weeks for uh, basically uh, comparing, uh, you know, the, the the old Million Dollar Man to the new Million Dollar Man, if you want to put it that way. So I would expect that we're probably going to have Cameron Grimes win this. I would not be shocked, though, considering the fact that DiBiase has aligned himself with L.A. Knight, if perhaps L.A. Knight basically becomes – the new version of Virgil, basically, except Virgil holds the this Virgil holds the uh, holds the million dollar title while being affiliated with DiBiase. Mercedes Martinez against Zaya Lee. I mean, Martinez has basically been dominant. Uh, during her time in NXT so far. This one is hard to call. Because Martinez beat Lee 
I believe, in the Mae Young Classic. And no, yeah, she beat Lee in the Mae Young Classic uh, four years ago. And they're using this as, I guess, this, I guess part of the uh, part of the feud between the two, or part of the program between the two. So maybe, perhaps, this is what they're going to do to basically, uh, you know, to give Lee the win in the rematch against Martinez four years later, unless they're just going to have Martinez continue to show how strong she is. With the rumor, of course, uh, her being potentially the bodyguard for Eva Marie, who is returning to the WWE, I believe it's this upcoming, uh, this upcoming Monday, you know, maybe Martinez wins here gets called up to the main roster and is Eva Marie's new bodyguard uh, with this wave of momentum that she would have coming off of a win over, over Lee. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell how this, how this one's going to go. Raquel Gonzalez uh, with Dakota Kai defending her newly won NXT women's title against Ember Moon with Shotzi Blackheart by her side. This is basically a continuation of the feud that they've been, that they've had going on ever since Raquel uh, and Dakota won the, uh, or were awarded the NXT women's tag team titles. And then they, they subsequently lost them to Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart the very same night. After that, it's a, the, these two have basically been uh, these two teams have basically been facing off with each other uh, for multiple multiple weeks uh, ever since that ever since that night. So this is just going to be another another installment in this feud. And honestly, I know what they're trying to do is with the with the three championships right now, they have uh, Rhea Ripley with the Raw Women's title. They have uh, what's-her-face, uh, Bianca Belair with the SmackDown uh, Women's title, and Raquel Gonzalez now with the NXT women's title. They're basically trying to form WWE's own version of the four horse women. And this, they even did this thing where, where they posed with, uh, with titles when all three of them held the titles, they did the same exact pose as when they didn't have the titles. And I guess that's sort of their way of trying to form, trying to show some sort of bond between all three women. And, you know, they're probably going to want to keep all three women's championships on them as long as possible. So I would be kind of shocked, especially with, uh, with how Ember Moon has been ever since she returned to NXT. I would be kind of shocked if they gave if they switched the title off of uh, Gonzalez this soon. 
considering the fact that, you know, normally when you come back from the main roster, you sort of see it as a bit of a demotion, if you would. But who knows? We saw what they did with Finn Balor, with uh, Finn Balor, you know, coming over to NXT from the main roster, and he he eventually ended up becoming NXT champion again. So maybe perhaps they might give Ember Moon a, cha- uh, a championship reign at some point. I just don't see it being now. Because Raquel, I mean, she, she's basically like Mercedes Martinez. You know, she's one of the strongest women in the women's roster for NXT. And it would feel kind of odd taking the title off of her this quickly. Then we have a winner-takes-all six-man tag team match for the NXT North American Championship and the NXT Tag Team Championship with Bronson Reed, who's the North American champion, and MSK, uh, Nash Carter and Wes Lee being the tag team champions, defending all three of their titles against Legado Del Fantasma being uh, Santos Escobar, Joaquin Wilde, and... Raul Mendoza. Basically, whoever wins this match gets the titles. Uh, in Santos Escobar's case, he would probably get the North American Championship, and Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza would get the NXT Tag Team Championship if they were to win. However, this is another case of taking the title off of somebody so quickly. Bronson Reed just won the North American title. And MSK, they didn't win their titles uh, that long ago either. So once again, you have this question. Do you take the title off uh, off of the champions this quickly? I, like I said, I just don't see it. I would be really shocked if they did, but I'm going to be going with, uh, with Bronson Reed and MSK here. Uh, a reminder, by the way, for those of you who may not have subscribed yet to the Missy AE podcast, if you want to do so, just go to blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE or you can do so on Apple Podcasts or iTunes by searching for Missy AE. Uh, you will get access to not just the Sports Whispers Weekly podcast uh, or the upcoming Big Brother recap podcast, which will be hosted by Melissa and, uh, and myself. Uh, we... You will also get access to our any of our uh, Big Brother or Survivor Memories podcasts or even the interview that we did with the amazing racist Hung and Chi. Uh, you'll also get access to the, uh, to the Survivor Rankings videos that are not videos, uh, the Survivor Rankings shows that we've done as well. Uh, and, you know, with these interviews, there's quite a few interviews that we've done with past contestants that provide quite a bit of insight, uh, quite a bit of insight on some of their some of their seasons that they've done. So it's a very, a very interesting listen uh, for those of you that are interested in Survivor. 
also we have uh we have groups in whispers uh on facebook if you guys want to join uh in on the conversations for either survivor big brother or sports uh you can join survivor whispers big brother whispers or sports whispers by requesting into the group uh one of our moderators will will uh will check it will will check out your request and they will either accept or deny you depending on uh depending on the profile um there's a lot of interesting conversations that go on in those groups. I'll tell you what. Um, let's see. I don't know uh, for a programming note. I do not know if we will have a Survivor podcast this week. Uh, considering how this past week's podcast uh, ended, we – Obviously, we didn't have the third hour, so we weren't really able to talk about whether or not we were going to do another podcast. I know Jim mentioned, I think it might have been jokingly, but maybe not. Uh, we did bring up the possibility of maybe a, a top ten Survivor dumbasses uh, to ever play the game of Survivor. I, I, I mean, I guess that would, that, that would maybe be in a, uh, something, to, something to talk about potentially. But uh, obviously, stay tuned to Blog Talk Radio within the next couple of days, blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE. If there is going to be a podcast done, which would probably be this upcoming Thursday, we will have it up uh, within the next couple of days before, obviously, before Thursday hits. All right. There is another... Another thing to talk about, uh, another event to talk about, and that was the highly commented on show, showdown between Floyd Mayweather and YouTube star Logan Paul. It's about Logan's brother Jake before on the podcast about how Jake has never really fought you know, established boxers or even actual professional boxers, you know, that even if they have one, one career fight, you know, he still hadn't fought anybody who had actually fought before. I, I'll give credit to Logan, even though this is an exhibition bout, you know, Granted, he, he he's going up against maybe one of the greatest, if not the greatest boxer to ever box, uh, Floyd Mayweather, when it comes to Floyd Mayweather. He does have balls going up against against Floyd, considering how Floyd fights. Uh, and granted, it is it has been a couple of years since Floyd has last fought. Uh, but he is 50-0. and 0. You know, he... After this fight, he would have been 51 and 0. Uh, we did still see some flashes of the old Floyd Mayweather in this in this fight, uh, with some of the uh, some of the shots that that he was able to connect with. And my God, it was honestly it was kind of embarrassing looking at the stats. Hopefully, I can hopefully I can find. The uh, hopefully I can I can find the uh, the stat line here. Um, 
because it was it was pretty one sided. I'll put it that way. Uh, let me yeah. Let me see if I can find if I can find the stats. Yeah, not not a whole lot of punches landed. You know, total per, total punches that that were landed or thrown. I I mean, it was definitely you know there there, there were a lot more. Uh, that were landed by by Floyd Mayweather, and you know I gotta I gotta give it to Mayweather. He said that he was basically you know th- that this was basically a uh, a heist essentially a heist of people's money, and I you know I under I understand it. You know Mayweather he is a businessman and. Uh, he knows that whenever he fights, whoever it is, people are going to pay for his fight. And it was a pretty, uh, you know, a, pr- a pretty calculated, a, pr- a pretty calculated uh, fight for for Mayweather to take here. And yeah, you know, taking a, taking a look at the stats, I did find the stats officially here. The final punch stats, we'll go down the line with each one. Logan Paul landed 7 of 73 for his jabs, which is 10%. 21 of 144 for power shots. So, in total, he landed 28 of 217 shots that he threw. Mayweather, which, by the way, that was 13% total for, for Logan Paul. Mayweather landed half of his jabs, 7 of 14, and 39% of his power shots, 36 of 93, for 43 total out of 107 shots that he threw. Let's just put it this way. Apart from, apart from a uh, gigantic flurry that Paul threw in the first two rounds, I think it was the first round, actually, the end of the first round, which, by the way, none of those shots really connected. This this was basically a hug fest from Paul. It it looked like Paul was was uh, was pretty gassed before the first round even ended. It looked like he was breathing heavy. And these were these were eight three minute rounds. It to me it just I give credit to you know to Logan Paul for actually. I mean, hell, he went for the highest of the high when it comes to uh, fighting actual boxers uh, with him fighting Floyd Mayweather. Uh, but it, 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 this fight really showed why Floyd is among the best of the best, even after, even after being, uh, being retired for all these years. You know, the... Floyd just—he would have easily won if this—if this was a—if uh, this was an official, an official fight and not an exhibition fight. And if Logan is actually serious about a about a boxing career, 
I think one of the things he really does need to work on is his stamina because it really seemed like he was gassing pretty early. And you can't, you know, you can't have that when you're, when you're fighting professionally. You know, maybe it's, maybe I'm looking at it differently because of the fact that, I mean, he was a full 34 pounds heavier than Mayweather. Mayweather was 155. Logan Paul was 189 and a half at a catch weight. Maybe, maybe perhaps this is this was just maybe it was because of the weight differential. But to me, it, it kind of seemed like Logan had, you know, that he had basically gassed quicker than you would normally expect in. Uh, you know, in the sport of boxing. And Mayweather, at the end, he did actually praise Logan, saying that he's better than I thought he was. He's a tough, rough competitor. Um, and Logan Paul, though, appeared to harbor some doubt about how seriously Mayweather had taken the fight. Uh, he ended up saying, I'm going to go home thinking, did Floyd let me survive? Because a lot of people were expecting a Logan Paul uh, for, for, for Floyd Mayweather to knock out Logan Paul here. And obviously that didn't happen. That pissed off a lot of fans. Um, but yeah, you know, from, from what it looked like, it looked like at least from the fourth, from the fourth round onward, Paul was definitely visibly fatigued. And he took every opportunity to try and utilize his weight advantage by tying Mayweather up in the clinch after every exchange that they had, every short exchange that they would have. And, I mean, I guess, you know, it's an accomplishment that he didn't get stopped by Floyd, but you kind of do have to wonder if Floyd took it easy on him. Because obviously, you know, Floyd is, if there is one thing about Mayweather, he is definitely conservative when it comes to his, uh, when it comes to his punch output in, in his fights. Then again, though, he was a full 34 pounds lighter than Paul, so maybe perhaps you know that power differential uh, might have played a factor. But it just—I don't know though, because it really did look like he landed quite a few flush shots on uh, Logan Paul's uh, Logan Paul's head. But I mean, I guess it's something, the fact that he was able to go eight rounds with Mayweather without getting knocked out or even dropped, actually. I don't think he was even dropped at all uh, in the fight. I think what will be interesting is what can Logan Paul, you know, what will be Logan Paul's next step? Obviously, he's fought Mayweather in an exhibition, 
his only fight was a loss against KSI, a fellow YouTuber. So would he go on to face an actual boxer for his next fight? Or would he go, and by actual boxer, I mean somebody who has actually fought professionally. Or would he go with somebody like, you know, sort of like what his brother Jake is doing by fighting random people who have never fought professionally and trying to build up his record that way. And actually, no, not just that, but also fighting people who have who have never fought am- in, an, in any amateur uh, boxing fights either. I don't know. It's. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see because I actually think that Logan's taking things a lot more seriously than his brother is. Uh, his brother has now has now I guess called out uh, Tyrone Woodley, and like I mentioned before on a previous show, uh, we all know that Tyrone Woodley, when it comes to punch power. He definitely has a lot harder punches than Ben Askren because Askren isn't known for being a power puncher. So I think it's it's possible that Jake Paul may be biting off a little more that, than he can chew by uh, by fighting by agreeing to a fight with Tyrone Woodley for his next fight. Once again, though, when it comes to Jake Paul, this is once again another fighter or another fight against a guy who has never participated in boxing before. Yeah, he has he 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 was a champion in the UFC, but this is different because this is boxing. You're not doing multiple uh you know, you're not doing multiple um disciplines. You're just boxing. There's a different a different science if you would compared to preparing for an MMA fight as opposed to preparing for a boxing fight. So I think it's definitely going to be interesting to see when it, uh, the the next steps that both Paul brothers take. Uh, and Lou, let me bring you back on here. Uh, welcome back. I beat the clock. Great. Uh, yeah, you did. You got, you, uh, you beat the clock by about two and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> I, I had just gotten finished discussing the Logan Paul fight against Floyd Mayweather. Oh, yeah. And obviously I'm sure you, you've heard about it because uh, yeah. a lot of people were pretty disappointed that, uh, that Logan didn't get knocked out by Floyd. And yeah. the fact, the fact that Floyd actually gave him uh, actually gave him some compliments after the fight, saying that he's a lot tougher of a fighter than he, than he thought he would be. Yeah, come on, see, it was a sham and, fight. Yeah, you know that's exactly what I that's exactly what I said. Floyd Floyd had described this fight as I forget I forget the exact words that he said, but it was basically like a height. I'll be a gentleman, essentially. You know, of a, a heist of people's money, if you want to yeah. put it that way. And it seemed like, at least to me, within the first round, at least the first two rounds, that 
Paul had appeared to be visibly gassed, and he was breathing. He was already breathing heavily very early on in the fight, although it really didn't show until the until around the fourth round, when Paul Paul would continuously try to uh, try to get in the clinch with Floyd and not really fight. Yeah, and I mean, I, I already, I already, yeah, it was almost, it was almost like sparring. But I had already yeah. read the uh, the stat totals, and I mean, they were they were embarrassing. I mean, just listen to these stats, Lou. For Logan yeah. Paul, seven jabs out of seventy three were landed. What for for power for power shots? 21 out of 144 attempted power shots landed for a total of 13% of his punches, 28 of 217. Compare that to Mayweather. Mayweather landed seven of 14 jabs and 36 of 93 power punches for a total of 43 of 107, or basically 40% of his shots. And I said, Sham. Yeah, you know, I I, 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 I will say, though, I, I, I did say this earlier, I give respect to Logan because of the fact that he actually picked a fight with an actual fighter. Yeah, even though it was stupid to pick it with Floyd, he still no, picked the a fight is, with Steve, an actual I've, fighter. I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again: Is it really a fair fight to have this? No. That rest my case. And let, let me bring, let me bring in uh, JB, who uh, who is joining us for the third hour here. Uh, oh, JB. JB, uh, we're actually we're actually getting to have an overtime hour tonight, and uh, my phone has decided to not die apparently tonight, as opposed to Thursday oh. night. Um, and once again, is that why? You know, is that why? Yeah, I, is that why we were cut yeah, off that, the other night? <laughs> yeah, that's what, basically what happened the other night. Is uh, Jim was about to was about to give. Uh, the listing of of the uh, the top ten the top ten villains for Survivor because Tim had joined us for the overtime hour and missed uh, the official listing so Jim was about to reread it then for some reason all of a sudden you know I didn't even I had my phone on the desk on uh, on speaker and all of a sudden I heard a boop 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 noise which basically signals you know either the call had failed or or the uh person on the other line uh, the person on the other side of the line had gotten dropped off so i didn't even so it's your your fault so it's your fault not blog talk radio's fault okay well yeah it's my fault it's it's my fault because I got disconnected. I got disconnected somehow uh, uh, by Blog Talk. Like either, either, uh, either it was my connection that got disconnected, or it was Blog Talk's connection to my phone that got disconnected. If that makes any sense. 
Yeah, we'll block. We'll blame Blog Talk then. What the heck? It was. It was almost. It was. Let me compare it to like if you were if I was on the phone mm-hmm. uh, talking with somebody and I randomly went through a dead zone and got disconnected. That's basically what I would compare it to. Uh huh. But anyways, uh, JB, we were ta- we were just talking about the uh, the Logan Paul fight against uh, Floyd Mayweather, and uh, as Lou just mentioned, he thinks that the, you know this fight shouldn't have even happened from uh, from the get go because of the fact uh, you know of of Floyd's uh, status as being one of the greatest you know to have ever fought at least in his weight class. Uh, what are your thoughts, JB, on on the uh, the fight that was pretty lopsided? I mean, forty percent of the shots were landed by Mayweather, and only ten percent uh, for for Logan Paul. I mean, was did Logan really have any business in setting up an exhibition fight with one of the uh, one of the top stars in boxing history? Well, you got to look at it uh, one way. Uh, Like you said, it was an exhibition fight. So it's like, you know, are they really getting, is either one of them getting anything out of it? Uh, Maybe Floyd Mayweather is more than, uh, you know, anyone anyone else in the whole, uh, you know, place. (laughs) But other than that. Money out of it. But other than that, uh, you know, you look at it and you see exhibition fight. So you really can't expect too much exhibition fight. Yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not a boxer, and I didn't see the fight. And I just when I called in, I heard you, uh, you know, give the statistics and everything like that. The only yeah. thing that I the only thing that I have to say on the statistics is uh maybe he landed uh who who is it Logan maybe he landed 10% of uh you know his punches but was those uh, were those 10% uh that he landed did he land them or did he just barely land them? Honestly, you know, from, from, from when I when I saw the fight, when I watched the fight uh, as it happened, you know, I can't really say that he actually fully landed them because there was one sequence, for example, in the at yeah. the end of the first round, near the end of the first round, where. Uh, you know how in the UFC sometimes you see some of those some of those scrams of uh, when fighters try to uh, try to throw as many punches as possible before the before the uh, the bell rings. Yeah, I mean they sit there and yeah. they just go uh, you know punching. <laughs> You're a raging maniac, basically. That's yeah. kind of what Logan right. Paul did at the end of the first round. And okay. From what it looked like, at least, not it didn't look like Floyd was really affected by a lot of the shots that were thrown. I mean, 
it was it it was a lot more evident that Mayweather's shots were more effective because Paul I mean hell a lot of the shots that Mayweather landed on him it really looked like it, they could have potentially dropped Paul which I I said it earlier and I'll give Paul credit for this he did not get dropped by any of the shots that Lloyd or that Floyd threw Oh, okay. And especially, this is especially uh, uh, notable, too, because Paul had a big size advantage for, uh, against Floyd. Paul is six foot two, and he weighed in at 189 and a half pounds, which is 34 and a half pounds more than Mayweather, uh, with Mayweather being five foot eight. And this other guy was a it, string it, beam. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wouldn't say a string. I wouldn't <laughs> say a string beam. I wouldn't say a string beam. He he looked jacked. No. Okay. You know he he again looked, he looked like ag- a middleweight. He looked like a middleweight basically. Okay. Again, I didn't see the fight, so you know I'm just making. Uh, oh, yeah. Good thing I did. I'm just judging. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good thing. It's honestly, it's a good thing you didn't because it was honestly, it was. I would consider it to be a black eye on the sport of boxing. Even though I give Logan credit for actually going against an actual fighter as opposed to his brother Jake picking fights with uh, with with people who have never fought professionally in boxing before. And if you say that uh, it's a black eye on boxing, would you say that it was also a black eye on uh, Floyd Mayweather's fault for, uh, you know, taking the fight for actually fighting? No. It would have been different if Floyd lost. If somehow somehow the stats came up and Paul significantly outlanded Floyd, then yeah, it would probably oh, be an embarrassing yeah. stat to put on Floyd's record. But when you consider how much money they probably made off of the fight, uh, oh, I yeah. mean, Mayweather said he already made before the fight thirty million dollars off of endorsements for promoting the fight. Like, like he really needed the money. <laughs> yeah. Well, not all, and and Logan Paul, I believe Logan Paul's uh, cut before before pay per view buys come in his appear bonus or his uh, appearance, uh, sort of like mm-hmm. what the UFC does, you know, where they give you you get they give you money to show up and fight, and then they give you money depending on if you win or whatnot. Uh, Logan right. Paul made, I think yeah. it was a quarter of a million dollars. To show up and fight. Oh wow! Yeah. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing when you think about it, but still, say, I, I still say this about Logan: I give him more credit and for being ballsy and searching for a fight against Floyd, even though Floyd is considerably, uh, uh, considerably outmatched size-wise. Um. I still give him credit for going after an actual boxer as opposed to yeah. 
uh, picking fights with Still people who have fight. never fought. And for but, not being yeah, knocked you know, down, too, like you said. Yeah, and also, you know, he uh, even though, like I said, it looked like he was severely gassed after, like, the first two rounds, but it wasn't really noticeable until after round four. Um, I do give credit for to him for not getting knocked down when a couple of those shots really did look like they had potential to potentially knock him down. Um and also the fact that he was able to survive eight rounds, you know, eight three-minute rounds against uh, against Floyd. Yeah. You know, not a lot of people, uh, not a lot of people who have had limited boxing experience can say that they've gone against Floyd Mayweather, and you know, were able to last the entire fight, regardless of how many, uh, you know, of how many rounds it uh, it was. And if they last well, the entire fight, didn't, uh, you know, get knocked down. Yeah. Well, what, what did you say, uh, what did you say, Luke? I, you know, I think we kind of expected it, though. I mean, you know, this might have been the term, but I think we knew, you know, no one's going to throw any real hard punches, and it really didn't count. So, um, I don't know about you, but I wasn't surprised with this result at all. I think it was planned that way. Oh yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I think it was definitely. I still th- I I I kind of think that Floyd took it easy on him because yeah. you know even though even though there was a size differential, uh, which would make you think that that Logan would have the advantage. You know, it's like Floyd said before the fight. Uh, it's one thing to to talk a lot of shit before the fight, but I have actually fought the fight. Logan hasn't. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, it's not a fair fight. Yeah, so it's a lot more different of a uh, of a landscape for Floyd. Uh, or, no, it's a lot more different of a landscape for Logan than it is for Floyd. Okay. Because Logan had okay. never been there okay. before. Because Logan had never been there before, uh, apart from no. fighting... No. Uh, KSI, who's a fellow YouTuber, uh, in his previous fight, which he lost, might I add. Yeah, um, I heard that. While, of course, Mayweather, you know, is fifty and zero. <laughs> but uh, from the sounds of it, it sounds like they hit. I think it was one and a half million buys. I think from early uh, early estimates. So, well, he won't do anything. Floyd clearly is still a uh, is still a, a big draw. Oh, no question and, about that. Even though he's getting up there, oh, yeah, yeah. And and you know, one other bout that took place that night was uh, the bout between Chad Johnson, yeah, Chad Ochocinco. Uh, granted, this was an <laughs> exhibition bout as well. Uh, but he fought uh, he fought former fighter Brian Maxwell in a four round a two a two minute four round fight each each round going two minutes. Uh, I gotta tell you, if Chad had started out his career as a boxer as opposed to playing football, Johnson was not bad at all. 
for it being an exhibition bout, I would say he probably did a lot better than Logan did. I mean, he, I mean, he landed quite a significant amount of punches compared to Logan Paul. Right. You know, he, he looked really impressive and, uh, but there were there were other fighters who commented on him uh, as well. So Sounds that like was uh, that was a better fight of the two, really. Even though it yeah. went only four rounds. Oh, it was. Hmm. Even though I, you know, I I definitely don't think it could have gone longer than four, though, because. You know, obviously, if you're if you're an athlete, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be training uh, for stamina. You're gonna be training, obviously, to learn how to box first. But uh, you know, you're not really about stamina, which yeah. Johnson, I mean, he he was doing good stamina wise, but it. You know, right towards the end of the bout, you could kind of see him start to fade, especially after he got dropped by Maxwell uh, very late in the fight. And, I mean, it was a shot that he took, uh, like like a haymaker. A haymaker. A hay- it was I'll, – I'll tell you this. It, the shot he took – was a lot harder than probably any of the shots that were thrown by Floyd. I mean, it was a flat-out haymaker that that uh, that Johnson took, uh, and he did get up. He did get up from it. Um, but yeah, you know, I think this is this is an event that that potentially probably could have been could you know could have been. Uh, declined by a lot of people to watch because yeah. you know it, I'm kind of tired of seeing the this is why I this is uh, I think we're going to start to see uh, this trend start to go on now where you're going to see celebrities get into the world of boxing I mean yeah. now we have yeah. uh, we have money, Odom. well obviously yeah, yeah. Obviously, athletes run out of money, or celebrities run out of money. They resort to boxing, yeah. uh, and there was actually one that just took place. I think it was last night uh, with Aaron Carter getting knocked out by Lamar Odom. Uh, you know, it's just the more, the more and more freak show fights that we see, it, it kind of ruins the sport. Yes, you know, on and and now tonight they're doing this thing with uh, YouTubers fighting against TikTokers. Yes, I mean it's it's getting ridiculous at this point. Yeah, as I call it, Steve, my ridiculous time of the week. It was. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, unless you're going to be actually serious. And you know you're actually going to pursue a career in boxing, which it kind of sounds like for the Paul brothers, at least Logan, that or actually no, both of them. You can kind of say that yeah. the both of them are 
are act are actively pursuing boxing legitimate boxing careers. Uh, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of this shit that we're seeing now is more basically just to get attention, essentially. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. what it sounds like. But uh, since we're, uh, since I mentioned uh, Chad Johnson uh, with football, uh, the biggest football story to hit the uh, to hit the news wire this week, oh, we yeah. have finally found a home for Julio Jones. Jones, as the Atlanta Falcons have traded Julio Jones and a sixth round pick in 2023 to the Tennessee Titans. For okay. for next year's second round pick and 2023's fourth round pick, and obviously the Titans don't have the cap space to take on Jones's full 15.3 million dollar cap hit, so they're going to have to restructure before his deal officially becomes finalized. But my God. Taking a look at that Tennessee offense now with Derrick yeah. Henry at running back. Obviously, you have uh, Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Uh, you got A.J. Brown as – apparently, I, I looked at the depth chart. They have A.J. Brown still as the number one receiver with Julio Jones becoming the number two receiver. You know, after losing Corey Davis to the New York Jets and losing Johnny Smith to the Patriots this offseason, kind of seems like kind of seems like the Titans may have upgraded a little bit at wide receiver, replacing Davis with Jones. However, you know, obviously the big problem is can Jones stay healthy? That's a problem. That's going to be a big problem that they're going to have to look at is if he can stay healthy. Because if he can, you know, we're pro- you're probably looking at uh, one of the more dominant offenses in the AFC. But if he can't, then the Titans just gave up a pretty – well, Honestly, I, I I don't think I can really say a pretty steep price because it could have been worse. They could have given up a first round pick, uh, but they did give up a pretty significant price with a second and a fourth in order to get them. So it's and plus you know another thing too is I don't think there's really much of a difference between Tannehill and and Matt Ryan. You know, he said he wanted to go. He said he wanted to go to a quarterback who can throw the deep ball. And honestly, there's not really much of a difference between Tannehill and Ryan when it comes to that aspect. So, no. And uh, it's it is kind of a bit surprising. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, the Patriots were rumored, but. That probably would have been a worse option, in all honesty, for Julio Jones because Cam Newton can't throw a deep ball worth a shit anymore. Uh, but 
you know, another another thing too was that Seattle was listed as a potential option, and if and if, if anything, that would have been a perfect scenario because Wilson probably still has one of the strongest arms in the league. But let's start with you, Lou. What do you think about about Julio Jones going to the Titans? Could this potentially change? Uh, the shape of the AFC uh, of the AFC uh, championship race? It's possible. But the way I see it, though, that, you know, while he's going, you know, in the other direction, it seems like the uh, other team is just getting a bunch of, like, uh, leftovers, and that's not going to – that's not going to help them. So I think that, you know, the Titans do have the advantage here. Yeah, I know it's going to bring them, you know, uh, a championship title, but it does. It, I think it does change their fortunes around. Yeah, and you could kind of you could kind of argue if you take a look at Tennessee's matchup against Kansas City a couple of years ago, uh, when when uh, Tennessee went on that run. If Tennessee had somebody the likes of Julio Jones, that maybe oh, they no could have potentially kept. Maybe they could have potentially kept uh, kept pace with Kansas City offensively throughout that game. Yes. Uh, what do you think about oh, this, yeah. JB? Do you think do you think this makes a, this makes a difference in the AFC uh, the AFC title race? Are we looking at a uh, at potentially Tennessee moving up uh, on the list of contenders with the acquisition of Jones? I don't think so, really. That's you know that's just my opinion. I re- I really don't think so. Uh, they might move up, but it's not going to be any kind of drastic uh, move up. I don't think. So it, so it won't it won't make them it won't make them Super Bowl contenders basically. I I I don't think so. You know, it kind of makes sense too because they t- they do they do technically still need a tight end. I mean, they lost Johnny Smith and they got they got Ferkser, but that's not really you know that's not really no. a viable option. So they still they still technically do need a tight end. Uh, I mean, that's a huge missing piece for uh, for Tennessee right now, and. You know, like you said, Lou, uh, Kansas City is going through a whole bunch of turnover this off season. Yes, you know, getting rid of certain players, and this could potentially open up the uh, open up the opportunity for another for another team like like a Baltimore or uh, or or potentially a Tennessee if Tennessee's offense can. Uh, you know, can stay on pace and communicate. Uh, you know, you know, keep on the uh, keep on the right track. Maybe, perhaps, uh, this could be a good thing for Tennessee. And maybe, perhaps, we could see the Titans move from being okay, uh, a borderline playoff contender to. You know, going back to being 
a legitimate threat. I mean, obviously, you know, Julio Jones, he only had like three touchdowns last. Keep in mind, you know, that's back when he was injured. If he can stay, if he can stay healthy, you're looking at a guy that's very capable of putting up anywhere from eight to eight to twelve touchdowns in a year. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very possible that they could have a two-headed monster uh, at the uh, at the wide receiver uh, position there. What guy? Hit those two-headed monsters. Oof. <laughs> it's very it's 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 very possible when it comes to them. Yeah. Uh what's it called? Uh game four game uh no not game not game four. Game three did wrap up uh Lou and it looks like uh the Clippers have made this a series. Game four it was it was, it was game four. No, it's uh it's game three. Okay, so, okay. Oh, well, still, yeah, a blowout, and then they got it. Yeah, one thirty-two to one hundred six final for the uh, for the Clippers. So this is it. Looks like this is officially a series here. Yes. Well, remember they said it's not until you win on your opponent's home court, and they won on their own home court. That's true. That's true. You mean. In order, in order to win a series, you basically, un, unless you have home, unless you have home court advantage, you do need to win on uh, on your opponent's court. Uh, you know, we were talking in uh, recent weeks about the potent, uh, about what's going to happen for NHL te- NHL playoff teams, uh, specifically out of Canada. Uh, it was made official this week that there was yep. a approval for a border exemption for NHL playoff teams uh, going in and out of Canada. Basically, for the final two rounds of the playoffs, uh, there was a, a travel exemption that has been enacted by the Canadian government. Uh, basically, what it says here is that all team members crossing into Canada, both Canadian and American teams alike, will be subject to pre- and post-arrival COVID testing. Uh, the team yes. must use private air travel and will be restricted to a bubble while in Canada. That includes the team hotel and arena. Uh, players are asked to limit all interaction with the general public during this time and to follow all local health guidelines. So basically, basically what they what they did last year during the playoffs yes. is what they're doing this year. Well, it's certainly going to in the playoffs. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to be a lot different. You know when they play at the uh, when they play at the Bell Center in Montreal, it's going to be a lot different because there are no fans uh, for Canadian for Canadian arenas because of uh, because of the current COVID situation uh, up in Canada. Or actually, no, it does it does say they will have a limited home crowd. 
So maybe yeah. maybe they have sort of relaxed uh, a couple of uh, restrictions, I think. But at least this agree, you know, this this allows both teams to be on uh, on an even playing field instead of you know having a neutral site be the uh, uh, you know be the site for for the Canadian team. At least, you know, this this basically allows it to be uh, an even playing field for both sides now. And also, we do have the results of the draft lottery. Uh, I should have mentioned. I don't know why I didn't mention this last week. I had it. I had it on my notes here, but I didn't bring it up for some reason. Uh, the Buffalo Sabers have officially been given the opportunity to once again blow yet another draft um, <laughs> by being handed the number one pick over the Seattle Kraken. Uh, the Kraken will pick number two overall in their first official draft. It's going to be so weird for Seattle because they're going to have the yeah. expansion draft one night and then the very next night, they're going to have to do uh, round one of the NHL entry draft. Yeah, it's so weird. It's going to be. It's, it was so weird when we saw Vegas do it, and now it's going to be. It's it's going to be weird uh, seeing the Kraken do it. Uh, so it looks like this is the uh, the fifteen. The fifteen teams are as follows: with the fifteenth pick. Uh, the New York Rangers have the 15th pick. The Dallas mm-hmm. Stars get the 14th. Uh, the 13th to the Flyers. The 12th goes to the Flames. Uh, the 11th goes to the Blackhawks. And the 10th goes to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, pick number 9 goes to the Vancouver Canucks. Number 8 goes to the LA Kings. 7 goes to the San Jose Sharks. Six goes to the Detroit Red Wings. Number five goes to the Columbus Blue Jackets, which means number four goes to the New Jersey Devils. And number three will go to the Anaheim Ducks. Obviously, number two, Seattle, and number one, Buffalo. And as a reminder, the Arizona Coyotes uh, forfeited their first round pick this year as discipline for scouting violations last year. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. So that means that they Way to go, uh, stupid. That means they don't have a first round pick, which basically means that uh, when it comes to Boston, right now Boston will be picking twentieth, I think, because originally it was going to be uh, it was going to be Arizona. Uh, and another stat here, this is the second time in four years that the Buffalo Sabres will pick first overall after they took Rasmus Dahlin back in 2018. It also means that two teams, the Sabres and the New Jersey Devils, will have earned, will have owned the first pick in four of the first, or four of the, of the past five drafts. Uh, well... And this is part of the NHL's new rule that limits teams to two lottery wins in a five-year span. 
that will officially kick off next year. Mm-hmm. So basically, basically the Sabers can win. The Sabers or the or the Devils can win two of the ne- two uh, lottery lottery wins within the next five years, even after winning uh, hmm. two in each of the last four years. And I mean, hell, it's entirely possible that uh, you know we we know that Jack Eichel may be potentially leaving Buffalo because Thank Buffalo you. seems to be uh, Buffalo seems to be uh, in a position to potentially sell. And we do know of one player that will not be going to the draft this year, and that is the consensus number one pick, Owen Power, uh, who is a defenseman out of Michigan. Uh, Right now, he said he is leaning towards returning to the University of Michigan next season um, as opposed to declaring for the draft. So with him being gone right now it looks like it's probably going to be Matthew Beniers who may be uh the number one overall pick this upcoming uh this upcoming draft which taking a look at let's see where it says he's a forward oh actually yeah he's a center okay so you know what that would probably be the perfect uh replacement for Jack Eichel. If you take Veneers, probably means that they have a deal in place for Eichel. Because there are a lot of players, Eichel included, that have made it clear that they don't want to return from, uh, or they don't want to return to Buffalo, basically. Right. So I mean that's that's just a gigantic mess in and of itself, yeah. for the most part. Um, let's see. Oh, another another story sticking with uh, with hockey for a minute here. Uh, Brad Larson has officially been named the head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, replacing John Tortorella. Uh, Larson becomes the eighth, the eighth head coach in franchise history uh, for the Blue Jackets, and Larson has spent the last seven years as an assistant with the Blue Jackets organization. Uh, I did also see him as the head coach of the Springfield Falcons back in the AHL, uh, back in I think it was 2014 before he became a uh, before he became an assistant with Columbus. And I got to tell you one thing, this is a pretty good hire for the Columbus organization. When it comes to somebody who's going to, who's going to command practice for uh, out of all their players, Larson's probably the, probably the best guy that they could have gone with uh, at least when it comes to assistant coaches. 
that he had a pretty successful uh, run as an AHL head coach too. So, uh, you know, he knows the inner workings of the organization at this point. Uh, And this deal is, from all indications, sounds like it's a three-year deal, which will go through the 2023-2024 season for Larson, if he even lasts that long. Uh, Let's see. What do we have here? Hang on a minute. Oh, uh, I don't know if, if if either of you guys uh, are interested in tennis, but Roger Federer had to withdraw from the French Open, apparently, due to knee concerns. I thought I read something had, uh, about that. Yeah, JB, he just, uh, he just pulled out this past week after uh, he had two operations on his knee uh, in 2020. And, yeah, because obviously he's he's, uh, targeting a ninth Wimbledon title later this month. And uh, obviously if he has concerns about his knee, yeah, you know, he probably he probably doesn't want to probably doesn't want to play uh, in the French Open, specifically considering he'll he'll be forty years old uh, on August eighth. Yeah. So he is basically getting up there. So that obviously the health of his knee uh, is going to continue mm-hmm. to decline here. Basically, um, yeah, it's gonna hurt him. Interesting. I'm sorry, go ahead, JB. Yeah, I was gonna say that's gonna hurt him in the long run. Yeah, but honestly, even though even though he still plays at a high level, I think I think his uh, his better years are probably behind him at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And wow, what a hell of a bloody war between Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards. Hmm. That that has just well, been uh, been put out in the UFC. Yeah, Nate Diaz has always been a bleeder. Yeah, you know, this he's is always, the first. Yeah, he's always been one. This is the first. This is the first non-title fight that is. Not even the co-main event, and it's, it's five, five rounds. rounds. Yeah, yeah, right. The, the first ever, the first ever third fight on the card. That's a non-title fight that 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 is going five rounds. Uh, according to uh, to FNY's Ralph Avacchiano, uh, many around the NFL reportedly believe that Richard Sherman will wait out training camp before he decides to sign with a team. Oh, boy. Sherman wants to play for a contender, 
which obviously rules uh, rules teams like the New York Jets out. Which even even though that would be a reunion, yeah, with yeah. coach uh, Robert it. Sally. Well, I, I'm just I'm saying though, uh, Sherman was pretty close with Robert Sally uh, because of his time as defensive coordinator in uh, in San Francisco, and you know that was talked about as a potential option, but. Uh, with him wanting to play for a contender, you know, the Jets aren't really contenders at this point. So that's probably thrown out the window. Um, I know, but they always got to rub it in. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, He has been in talks with the 49ers about a return. Uh, He has also had interest from the Seahawks, the Saints, and the Raiders this offseason. Uh, however, injuries only limited him to five games this past year. Uh, but he did hold quarterbacks to a 69.6 passer rating when he was healthy. Uh, sounds like it's pretty hard to imagine it considering uh, the type of player he is. But it sounds like he will have to settle for a prove-it deal. A one-year prove-it deal. Yeah, I have that. But I guess it kind of makes sense considering his injury history. You know that maybe, perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, what's it called? Um, teams would be would be more hesitant. I don't know. Uh, I talked, you know, I talked a little bit about this last week, uh, during the third hour, uh, but I want to get your, uh, your guys thoughts on this. Uh, major league baseball is now officially cracking down on illegal substances. Yep. So, and I think we've about already time. seen impact. We've already seen the impact that it's had so far as Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole have been pitching worse to how they started off the year ever since MLB has announced this crackdown. And actually, you know, there's another pitcher you can kind of uh, throw in there, Nick Pavetta, who started off uh, the year year for the Red Sox with a six and one record. And now all of a sudden he gets shelled for six, uh, for six runs today by the, uh, by the blue Jays. And there has been multiple instances actually where, uh, you know, people have been caught previously with, uh, with usage of foreign substances this year. As a matter of fact, uh, there was – I forget which team he played for, uh, but there was there was one player who was told – oh, uh, Giovanni Gallegos of the Cardinals. Uh, umpire Joe West confiscated his hat a- as he entered the game after uh, Joe West had made the determination that an illegal substance had been applied – to the brim of the cap. You know, we're going to start to see 
uh, a lot of the. Uh, I think I think we're going to start to see a lot of these uh, unreal pitching numbers that we've seen so far this year. The fact that there's been a lot more strikeouts compared to normal. I think we're going to start to see some of these pitching numbers maybe go maybe uh, come back down to earth. Uh, considering, yeah. you know, there's been there's been a lot of these uh, a lot of these power hitters that have all of a sudden seen a huge dip in their uh, in their averages simply because. You know, we've had we've had certain pitchers that have been applying these illegal substances. But to, I mean, to be perfectly honest, this has been going on for years. Yes. You yes. know, where where pitchers have always pitchers have always found a way to uh, to try and gain a couple more miles per hour on their fastball or something like that. You know, this isn't something that's really new. It's just not all. The fact that it's just the fact that Major League Baseball is now all of a sudden deciding to get uh, to crack down on it. But, I mean, first steroids and juice balls, and now this. Yeah. Okay. And it sounds like from uh, it sounds like the uh, umpires will check eight to ten times per game, looking mm-hmm. for foreign substances. So basically, uh, this could be anything except Rosen uh, that could be applied to a baseball on both pitchers and position players with the, uh, with the idea that a position player could potentially secretly sneak something to their teammate on the mound. Uh, and basically, from what it sounds like, you know, these checks, will probably happen in between innings. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, an umpire uh, deems it necessary to check a baseball see if he sees something suspicious about a, about a pitcher's delivery or something during the game. Uh, so, you know, what do you what do you think about this, JB? Uh, you know, do you think we may start to see numbers uh, go uh, start to normalize a little bit more now, or do you think it's possible that we could still see uh, these sort of high numbers from uh, from pitchers? I don't know, really. Uh, one thing I was thinking of when you said, uh, uh, some of the other players, uh, you know, bringing something to the, uh, pitchers, uh, would the umpires have the, uh, I guess they would have the authority to check anybody that goes to the, uh, mound. I know it all together. Uh, from what it sounds like, yeah, it sounds it sounds like uh they would do checks in between innings 
And from what I'm reading, it sounds like it might be at the discretion of the umpire that if they if they feel that they have to that they have to check the baseball at a certain time at any time at any specific time that they could potentially do it at any time. But they're going to try to limit it to a certain amount of times that they do it, though. Okay. So, you know, who who knows? It's it's entirely possible that maybe perhaps, uh, you know, maybe perhaps we start to see we start to see a change now because of the fact that these not that these uh, crackdowns are being put into place. And it could be the crackdowns could be put in place and it might hurt some of the other pitchers, but not the other. And, you know, the uh, stats will more or less uh, stay the same. Yeah, well, obviously, you know this. This just means this means that pitchers are going to have to be more creative uh, when right. it comes to trying to yeah. gain an advantage. Basically, you know, Lou, I got to ask you, what the hell is up with the Yankees? <laughs> I was just, you know, I was having a like so. Yeah, I was asking this tonight as well. What do the Mets have that the Yankees don't? Jacob Degrom. Well, okay, yeah, that's true. Well, no, no. In all I mean, seriousness, obviously the the Yankees they do have their own Jacob Degrom. Uh, they call him Garrett Cole. Uh, Garrett Cole. But, yeah, but the thing was I was yeah. mentioning. Okay, think back to 2019 when the Yankees were beat up. They had as many players in the Angels as the Mets do now, but yet you know. They were in first place, and despite the injuries, you know, they still won the league championship series. So I'm just trying to figure out, you know, not this, you know, what's the problem this year? Now, the the answer was in 2018 that we had a good minor league system that helped us, you know, prevail, and the replacement players, yeah. were, you know, you know, take place of the major ones that got injured. But maybe we just don't seem to have that this year. Well, you know, it's weird with the Yankees because, yeah. I mean, I, I'm taking a look at the differential right now, and they have an even differential. They have they have scored 252 yeah. runs, but they've also given up 252 runs. Now that's sick. It's weird. It's it's like the uh, and you know what, Garrett Cole is one of the examples uh, when it comes yes. to. Uh, pitchers, you know, potentially using foreign substances because he was dominant. He even threw a no hitter for the Yankees this year, and right. now all of a sudden, ever since they started cracking down, he's gotten rocked his previous two outings for the Yankees. Sure has. So you know, it's gotten a lot of people wondering: was all of his success this year? Just because of the fact that you know he was already he was uh, using foreign substances. But I mean, the Yankees, 
they have no business getting swept by the Detroit Tigers this year. <laughs> they have no, they no business. They have no business losing to the Minnesota Twins like they did on Thursday. I mean, granted, they got they got swept by Boston, but that's you know Boston is at least up there. Uh, it, it, it's weird with the Yankees this year because they have all that talent. Uh, you know, they didn't really lose anybody from uh, from their playoff contending years. So, I mean, is it? Do they need a change in coaching? You know, do they need uh, they really somebody do. to replace Aaron Boone? I mean, I don't. I I really don't know what the hell their problem is. I mean, I can say maybe with the Mets. You know, maybe with the Mets, their whole thing was. Yeah, we know how they had that issue with uh, with the front office, uh, where you know their front one of their front office. uh, I think it was their general manager uh, was involved in sexual harassment or sexual assault or something like that. And that was causing a distraction. Uh, not just that, but also they also got a new manager, I believe, as well. So maybe that had a bit of a role to play for the Mets. Uh, you know, it's just really weird because, you know, you have teams this year like Atlanta, who is usually dominant. They're below 500. Miami had a great yeah. year last year. They're below 500. Washington, they're two years removed from a uh, from a title. They're below 500. You know, there's and and then you have teams who are like the Cleveland Indians. They're 34 and 27. But yet they've they've given up more runs than they've scored. It's like what the fuck is going on in baseball this year that's causing all these know. weird, all these you know all these weird but patterns that taking place here. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, yeah. I mean, I'm even looking at the NL West right now, and you have the San Francisco Giants who are who are leading their division for the first time since the Lincecum years. Uh, <laughs> Dodgers, you know, they had like a 17-game losing streak earlier this year, and they've somehow yes. rebounded. Uh, the Do- or not the Dodgers, uh, the Padres. You know they're on a four-game losing streak right now, but yet they're still sitting pretty at thirty-seven and twenty-nine, and they're in third place in the West, in the NL West right now. So right. it's very weird with how the landscape is shaping up right now in baseball. Exactly. All right, before we get cut off, uh, I'll just leave it at that, and I'll be back next week. Guys, Steven, thank you, too, Jamie. Uh, okay. Thanks for, thanks for joining uh, joining tonight, Lou. All right, uh, and before I forget, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if we're having a podcast this Thursday night. 
Uh, Jim hasn't hasn't gotten back to me at all. Uh, I know we did have a bit of a uh, a joke suggestion that maybe we would have uh, the top ten survivor dumbasses, but I don't know if that oh, was geez. serious or if that was a joke. Um, but uh, we'll see. Obviously, for those who uh, who listen to the Survivor Pod. Uh, stay tuned to blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE for updates on that. Um, obviously, uh, if you haven't checked out any of our podcasts uh, and you aren't subscribed, subscribe to the Missy AE podcast by going to blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE or on Apple Podcasts and iTunes by searching Missy AE and subscribing that way. Uh, we will also have the Big Brother recaps starting up soon, hosted by Melissa and myself. Uh, JB, thank you for joining me tonight uh, for the after show here. Um, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, everybody have a good rest of your weekend, and uh, we will see you guys next week. <laughs>